This is an episode about you. You. you ever wonder what your life would be like? What will you wish you would have done? Get after it already. What's life without a little adventure? We get one chance. Best live a big life. The exploration of the unknown. The hope for something more. Behavior can be classified as typically hazardous. I call it an adventure. Welcome. Let's get started, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. This is Hank Fortner, and welcome to a new year. I, for one, love life transition. I love transitions, and I love the passing of time. Something powerful feels like it happens to us globally and collectively when we change from one year to the next. Now, of course, lots of obvious things happen, but the most exciting thing that happens is that we get to move from one year to the next. We get to move, in essence, from one life to the next. People have this weird feeling like, well, that's going to be from what my business is going to turn into. That's going to be what my body or my life or my family or my soul. People get oddly hopeful around New Year's because they imagine in this futuristic world that they can be something different. That is my favorite part. So this conversation is actually about New Year's, but you can have this conversation anytime. The dialogue here is Happy New You, an opportunity to look at who you are, at yourself, and dive into what New Year's or a new season may have to do to create a very new See, in recovery, there's a common phrase of working on yourself. Or you may have heard this phrase in different language where they call it a work in progress. In the office environment, they call it professional education or, or continuing education or professional development. But I want us to focus on you, not skills acquisition or resume building. The goal isn't to try to figure out what you're going to do with your career this year, at least not in this conversation. I want to talk about you, how you handle stress, how you handle toxic people in your life, how you organize your thoughts or how you deal with negative emotions. How generous are you? How open are you to new experiences in your life? Do you hold any grudges right now as you listen to this podcast? Are you aware of any weaknesses in your own personal character? What do people say about you when you aren't around? How are you to work with? Or how are you to date? What is it like to be married to you? Right now in this moment as you're listening to this podcast, what is it like to be married to you? What's it like to disagree with you? When you're alone with your own life, what thoughts do you have about yourself? See, these are questions about your being and who you actually are, the you. So I want to take this episode to hopefully give you some information and some inspiration to become your optimal you, to step into the new you this new year. See, how you can engage with a fresh mindset is all going to be rooted in some of the questions you can ask and how real you're willing to be with them, some of that stuff. But it's really important for me to tell you where we're going. We're going to start by having a conversation with you about how to change things in your life and how to grow in some of those things in your life. And we're going to call on one of my favorite and one of my most important voices in my life these years. His name is Dr. Robert Maurer, and he wrote a book about a Japanese concept called Kaizen. He's a neuropsychologist 
up north and here in Los Angeles, and he's just an incredible voice and an amazing thinker, and he's going to be the root of our conversation about how to grow and how to change some things in our life. But I want to give you a word of warning. If right now you're not trying to get better, or if you are unwilling to do work on yourself, if you're uninterested in becoming a better mom and a better wife and a better husband and a better friend and a better worker and a better coworker and a better human, if you're not willing to put in the work to change some of those things, then this episode will be an entirely massive waste of time. And I mean that sincerely because if you aren't ready, I don't want you to hear these things and have them be tired or repetitive when you are ready for them. So if you're listening and you go, yeah, I'm not really in a place where I'm ready to like make a change for anything in my life, then you sincerely need to turn this podcast off and return to it when you are. Because what psychologists tell us is that if we get essential information at the wrong time, our brain will actually categorize it as familiar and it loses its insight and its impact and sort of that eureka factor of this is exactly what I needed when I needed it. So by way of social contract, if you keep listening to this, you're saying yes. You're saying yes to embracing change and growth as the fundamentals of giving of any impact of your life. You're saying yes to evolving and growing as all living organisms must do to stay alive. And by continuing, you're saying yes to the work that is ahead of you to become the you we are all waiting for. So if you keep listening, then we're in this thing together. And we are going to figure out how to launch the new you. Okay, it starts with this. Is there anything about your life that you would like to change? Something about you or about who you are or some of the questions that I asked earlier about generosity or weaknesses of character or how you deal with. It's important to begin this conversation by focusing on those things and saying, here's a list of things that for me, I would like to change in order to get to the new you. It could be something as simple as your spending habits. It could be something as obvious to you as things about your body or about your eating habits that you'd like to change, something you do every single day. It could be things that are less obvious, like your thought life, or like things that happen in your interior world or that happen that nobody else sees. Make a list and be clear. What are some things in your life that you would like to change? I want to change my fear of failure. Get out of debt and to uh, actually do more than survive. Be hands-on and more creative. Speed up the gap between thoughts and action. I want to change the way I look at people. Be more engaged with God. I want to change that I take everything personally. The question is not, can you identify the things in your life you want to change? Those things are obvious to us, and oftentimes they're very alarmingly obvious to the people in our life. Now, if you're sitting here and you are one of those people going, I don't know what I would change. I don't know what I would change about me. Here's what I'm going to suggest, is that you find some trusted friends, give them a notebook and a piece of paper and a pen or something that they can write on, and just ask them, would you make a list of some things that you think that if I changed, I would be a better me, live a better life, or be a bigger gift to this world. Because you might actually be sitting here, and you're a pretty extraordinary human being, but you're hoarding that extraordinariness, and you're not writing your blog, or writing your book, or doing your speaking, and you're not giving that, and you're being generous with that life that you have. Maybe you're the kind of person that's focused really well on personal development, but now you've hoarded that personhood that you are, and it's not out there. Your resources aren't out there. Your personhood is all those things. Sit down with trusted people 
and just ask them, hey, what are some things that I could focus on changing? And if I did, it would make a better life for me or a better life for the people around me or make me more who I was created to be. These are very easy questions to ask. And usually people will not be shy about this. So open up and figure out what are those things we want to change. Now, the question we have to ask is to figure out what to change is step one. But step two is how do we get that change to stick? In order to do that, I gave a phone call to the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Robert Maurer, who's an extraordinary neuropsychologist. He has an amazing amount of knowledge and insight and has done an incredible amount of research and has helped tens of thousands of people with his work. So I gave him a phone call. We did a FaceTime audio uh, like a gangster. He's 70 years old in his face, and we were FaceTiming each other in the office. And so he threw some wisdom at us that I want you to hear right now. Dr. Maurer, thank you for joining us, although I know you want me to call you Bob, so Bob, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're really glad to have you, and I know you are the foremost expert in uh, this conversation about how to make small changes to have a really big impact in your life. So I wanted you to chime in with us on the conversation around how do we do the work on ourselves and how do we bring about a change in our life as it pertain as it would stick and as it would stay. So. So if you and I were in your office and I got a chance to sit down with you, uh, what would you tell me as it pertains to me saying, hey, I got, I got these areas in my life that need to change. How can I go about changing them and how can I do that in a way that actually stays? Well, that's, that's a great question and probably for many of us, the most important question we can ask ourselves because some people have trouble even identifying our, the goals, the things they truly want in life. But once you're clear on something that you want to change and where you want to change it to, then the next question is, what strategy do you use? And most people have just one strategy, Hank, and it goes by the name of innovation, taking the largest possible steps to accomplish a large goal. And of course, innovation is good, but as all of us have lived long enough to discover, sometimes those big steps lead to big falls, and sometimes the price of that fall is more than we ever bargained to pay. So we found in our research that successful people would consider a second strategy in no way superior to innovation, but often just as good and frequently faster, which goes by the name of Kaizen, which basically means taking extremely small steps to accomplish large goals. Because innovation works some of the time. But Hank, we actually have research on New Year's resolutions. The average American makes the same New Year's resolution 10 years in a row before abandoning it, and most people give up within 15 weeks. So a lot of times those big steps are discouraging. So I ask people to consider what size step they're sure they can do. And for many people, taking extremely small steps, although it flies in the face of logic and our cultural beliefs, is the most effective way to make long-term sustained change and actually change our habits for good. So what would I do if I was coming to you and just said, hey, I have, like for me, I get aggressively angry in the car at like unhealthy levels, most certainly yes. unhealthy levels to my own body. What would, how would you tell me that I could, that I could achieve this sort of like small steps? How, how would you tell me that I could adjust that? If I'm looking at 2017 and saying, I really want this to change sure. and not in sure. a way where I abandoned, us- what, what could I do? Sure. Any of us who travel the streets of Los Angeles uh, have some of that, of course. Yeah. Um, 
So I was I would start by asking the person if they can to imagine what it is they'd like to change it to. Um, so um, to give me a picture if they can or a description of if they were using their um, car in a way that they felt they were uh, being healthy with other drivers, what would that look like? And what are the advantages that they see in doing that? Um, and sometimes I would ask if they're not able to articulate it clearly, they just know it's miserable or their their, their passengers are complaining. I'll take them through some of the research on anger and what it does to the heart, which is quite frightening um, and very conclusive evidence. So uh, depending upon the person's agenda, sometimes we'll even decide, all right, maybe the car is where they're going to practice so that they can have healthy relationships with other people. Because if you can't control your emotions behind the wheel with a hundred strangers in front of you, what chance do you have with a romantic partner or any intimate friendship? Um, sometimes if people are more spiritual, we use it as their spiritual playground. They're going to see God and all these other passengers. And that's how, that's the metaphor or the classroom they want to use anger to work on. Then we get down to the practicalities. And what you want to always do with people is give them choices of which strategy they want to try. Um, but one of them, for example, is a strategy called mindset. And this is something we learn from athletes and how they practice. So I would ask the person in my office, just for starters, for just 15, 20, 30 seconds at the most, but mostly 15 seconds is, is ideal, to picture themselves in the car. Uh, the driver in front of them is doing whatever it is that causes anger. They're, they're jumping in my lane too quickly or the person's tailgating me or they're running a red light, whatever it is that triggers this anger. Close their eyes, picture themselves behind the wheel. This other driver is doing whatever it is that triggers us and imagine what you'd want to imagine yourself in that situation and what you'd be saying to yourself, what you'd be thinking, what you'd be feeling. And practice that anywhere from 5, 10, 15 seconds, one, two, three times a day. Because one of the things that is obvious once you think about it is the brain's a creature of habit. Anything you do routinely, the brain commits cells to. If you watch an hour of a TV show, they show you the same commercial over and over and over again. You think they'd vary it, but entertaining us is not their agenda. It's building the image and the memory of the product into our mind. They know repetition is the way to do that. So if you're practicing mindset, picturing yourself in the situation in grace and humor, kindness, or listening to music and absorb with that, um, then you, um, the brain eventually gets the idea. Now, there's another strategy that was actually developed by a cardiologist because anger is incredibly hard on the heart. It's one of the biggest predictors of a cardiac disease and early cardiac death. So they developed a strategy where for their cardiac patients, these are patients who've already had a heart attack and are trying to avoid a second one, uh, and often are the kind of drivers you're describing. They, the homework they gave them was every time you start the engine, even if you're just going two blocks to the store, you need to do one favor for another driver. So this means you're looking for somebody who perhaps needs to get over in your lane and you're giving them space to do it. It may mean that you're being careful not to tailgate that person so as to disrupt the, their drive. So you're looking for an act of kindness, which of course calms the heart. So those are two of my favorites. There's a third one that works very, very quickly if people are willing to do it. 
and that is if you find your anger almost uncontrollable, I love demonstrating this, you can get as angry as you want in the car, but you have to stick your tongue out while you're doing it. And I'll demonstrate it for you. So while the driver in front of you is, is jumping in front of you, you say, you got no business doing that. You're a dumb driver. has <laughs> the exact response you just had to your passengers because it sounds so silly. But what you're really doing is reprogramming the brain so that the moment you feel anger, you instantly change it into something more playful. So these are these are very mechanical techniques. But like showing you the same 15-second commercial over and over again, it literally reprograms the brain, takes almost no time, doesn't require motivation because uh, it's so simple and short. And the brain likes to do this because, again, it's a creature of habit. Now, if I'm looking at my year, just like what you describe with these exercises, and I love the idea of taking these exercises and applying them directly even to other things, that mindset thought of, 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 and you can tell me if I'm extrapolating it too far. If I actually have a person in my life that, you know, we're using the example of strangers on the road. If I have a person in my life that is a, that creates a lot of drama for me, this is going to be a person that upsets me, a person that annoys me, or a person that just grates on my nerves. Can yes. I do the same thing with the mindset going 15 seconds every day? I want to imagine an interaction with them. And I'll imagine myself actually being at my best behavior instead of that reactive worst. Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's one of the best uses of mindset. Again, just to back up, we learned this from athletes who recovered from injuries much faster than anybody dreamed. And what they would do is picture themselves, whether it's in the Olympic Stadium or whether it's um, on the basketball court, picturing themselves in the situation, actually doing it. And it's based on what, in retrospect, is a very simple principle. With your eyes closed, your brain is so stupid, it doesn't know where it is and is sending perfect messages to the body. So it works brilliantly when you have difficult people in your life. Now, the real challenge in this, just to kind of go up a level, is that in order to want to do these exercises, some place inside of us has to become very spiritual or very psychologically minded and realize that we always have the potential, just the potential, to change our emotional response in the circumstance. Human nature leads us to be sitting in traffic thinking, my God, if, I, if that other driver would just behave better or this person in our life who's not meeting our expectations or doing something irritating... Human nature leads us to want to just change that other person's behavior and justify our emotions. Where your beautiful questions are coming from is the premise that we always have the potential to change our inner response, which is absolutely true. But the hardest part for people is to get to that level of awareness that I want that mastery over my inner life. But to go back to your question, the answer is absolutely yes. You close your eyes, picture the person in front of you doing whatever it is that irritates you. And then again, with your eyes closed like an athlete, imagine what you'd want to say, what voice tone, what gestures for just 5, 10, 15 seconds at a time. Repeat this two, three, four times a day. And like an advertisement, the brain eventually gets the idea, this is where she wants me to go instead. And the brain builds it in. But we think it's, you know, it's part of that Asian, Asian philosophy that Lao Tzu said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. 
But in our research, we couldn't find any way that any Asian culture was using it systematically, but was developed by a group of Americans at the beginning of World War II. As you know, we entered the war very quickly. We were turning car factories into tank factories with very little material or human resource. And so a group of Americans led by a man named Edward Deming came up with a model of asking each worker at each level of the assembly line just to think of what small, very inexpensive or no expense uh, um, uh, uh, changes they could make in the process that would improve either the process or the product. And they found by making very small, inexpensive changes, they actually made extraordinarily uh, effective results and made the highest quality military products in the world. After World War II, nobody in the U.S. was interested in these weird ideas about quality, about looking for small incremental steps to improve the process or product. But the Japanese have been very impressed with our equipment. They invited Dr. Deming and his colleagues over, and small struggling firms like Toyota and Honda embraced his ideas to build what we now know are some of the highest quality products in the world. That's incredible. So if I take that model... If we back into that model a little bit, if I'm looking at my year of 2017, I can very easily make a very long list of things that I either want to accomplish in my life or I want to change about myself. Would it be a mistake for me to approach and say, here are all these goals I want to achieve, and then here's this other list of all these things that I want to change about myself. How do I know if I'm biting off more than I can chew? How do I know if that's the innovation strategy or if that's the, the Kaizen strategy. Does that make sense? Again, another absolutely key question. The way you know for sure is if it's if the step is, is ridiculously small, it requires no willpower, no self-control, no discipline. So the minute you feel any kind of overwhelm, burden, effort, um, where you start to feel any resistance, you know you've gone too far. And the way I tell my audiences and readers is that the way you know you have a good Kaizen step, again, Kaizen is the word the Japanese gave for this process of extremely small steps to accomplish large goals, is the way you know that you have a good Kaizen step is people laugh in your face. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll give you two examples. One is, uh, suppose I want to be flossing. Flossing is very important for not only our teeth but our heart, um, but I never get around to it. So one Kaizen example is I'm going to floss one tooth a night, same tooth. And audiences laugh. It's so stupid. But assuming it's so small, I am absolutely sure I can do it. What do I have a month from now besides one clean tooth? I have a habit of picking up this silly string. The chances of the other teeth getting flossed become much greater. I'll give you another example that's not quite so silly. Suppose I want to be drinking more water. Just never get around to it. So I could say, I'll put a bottle of water up on the passenger seat of the car when I'm driving to work. I'll put the bottle of water at my desk and one where I'm shaving in the morning. So I'm at least thinking about water more often. Again, these steps are so small, they don't require effort, self-control, discipline. And because they're so small, the brain will build it in as a habit without me having to make much effort. So if you're taking five areas of your life and coming up with small steps, there's a high probability that you've bitten off too much. 
The, the other reason to keep uh, your goals minimal is that we know that these good habits spread. For example, suppose you want to be exercising and you decide you're going to exercise one to two minutes a day. While you're watching TV or listening to the radio for one or two minutes, you'll move in place enough to get your heart rate up. Um, so if you do that, once the research is very clear, once you start exercising regularly, even a small amount, all of a sudden you start changing your eating habits, you start going to bed a little earlier, the body gets the hint you want, it, you want to take better care of it. So these good habits have a way of spreading. You know, if, if I could add one more thing, Hank, and that is there's two major obstacles to people using small steps. One is the cultural, um, the culture we live in. Like most Western cultures, we tend to think big problem, big solution. Um, and so it's very hard for us to think small. The other reason is that often many of us, at, particularly at, at, at decade birthdays or New Year's, or at some point we take stock of our lives and we think, you know, I really am off course. I should have made a million dollars by now. I should have written my book by now. I should be married by now, whatever it is. And at that point, many of us get angry at ourselves. And if you have a harsh inner voice in your head saying you're a loser because you haven't already become thin, become married, become rich, whatever it is that harsh voice is beating you up for, that harsh voice isn't interested in small steps. It wants to change yesterday. Today's tolerable. Tomorrow's an eternity away. So it's very hard to think in terms of small steps if you're already angry at yourself that you haven't already achieved and accomplished what you what this goal think you think is going to or to say it just a little differently, the real key to all of these um, change processes is freedom. Am I free to try the big steps and see if it works? Am I free if the big steps aren't working to break it down into small steps, knowing that I'll get there probably even quicker? We all remember the story from childhood of the tortoise and the hare, and that's basically what we're talking about. Sometimes the small steps are the fastest way to get there because you're literally programming the brain for the change you want it to make. At a neurological level, you're basically the anything that, the, the the brain's trying to be as efficient as possible. So things you do very seldom, the brain doesn't commit cells to because um, it doesn't need to. So, but anything you're doing regularly, the brain locks in. So people who you visit all the time, you, you, you get in the car and you, you're not even sure how you got there because you're listening to the radio or talking to your passenger. The brain is committed cells to that uh, pathway. Uh, if you go someplace rarely, the brain doesn't do that. The other mechanism in the brain is if you make goals big and overwhelming, it triggers a place in the brain called the amygdala, which is where fear lives. So if the, st if the steps are too big, it triggers the amygdala, uh, triggering fear, and that shuts down the thinking part of the brain. So, And then, of course, we're uncomfortable because fear is about the most uncomfortable emotion we can have. And so you start avoiding the very thing that triggered the amygdala, which is the goal you set for yourself. <laughs> so it's a vicious cycle, Bob. How do we get anything done in this society? <laughs> it's amazing. we make. Well, I'm so grateful for Robert Maurer and what he can throw at us in terms of the wisdom of adding those things. I, for one, am going to figure out really ridiculously small steps to journey into my next self and the next me. I have all sorts of things that I'm going to dive into to figure out how to change, but I would love to hear yours. 
please tweet me and comment and post and let me know what exactly. You can email me off the website. You can find a way that you can send me a message and just tell me what were those things that you changed because I'd love to hear how Dr. Maurer and how this conversation may have helped you with the change you want to make to become your new you. See, I was a pastor for about 15 years. And as a pastor, when I first started speaking and getting to stand in front of people and talk about God and the universe and scripture and ancient philosophies, what I realized is I had this burden on myself to give you a life-changing talk. If you came and you joined me somewhere at some place I was speaking, or if I was speaking at a church or a retreat or someplace, then you would have heard me trying to figure out how to change your whole life in the 10, 15, 20, or 30 minutes that I was entrusted with. But what I started to evolve into was realizing that my goal ought not be to try to change every part of your life or try to turn your quote-unquote life around. Because the more I started speaking to the same people, I realized, do you really need your life changed 52 times a year? Or is, perhaps, church an opportunity to make incremental changes in your life each week, where every week you could end that week better than the way you began it, That every Sunday was a marker or a benchmark some way where you could go, I'm not the new me, but I'm one step further. I'm seven days closer. I end this week better than I started it. See, church can sometimes become like a pep rally for the week, but it's the locker room where the game is won. The place where you decide whether to cut, jump, pass, or shoot. See, practice is where you really learn to end bad habits and develop new good ones. Because I wonder if church around the world could become a sort of celebration that I ended this week more alive, more awake, more empathetic, more loving, more holy, if we can use that word, than the week before. See, that's a church I would never miss. A celebration where people gather together and go, last week I was here, but this week I'm here. And not the big dramatic tattoos on my face, I was covered in drugs and then now here I am and I'm awesome, but the incremental celebrations the Kaizen celebrations that would require something new of us, that we would perceive all of our dialogue and conversation as a bit of a locker room. We'd have to start seeing ourselves as a team or as a tribe who helped us forge new neuropaths in acting our way into this new life that we've been inspired to create. It's so important that together we embrace this opportunity to change little by little as humanity. I wonder if there could be churches out there who would take a deep breath and go, our focus, our choice, our purpose every week is to finish better than we started. So the goal of this podcast was to introduce you to Kaizen and to Dr. Maurer. But there's yet another solution or another way that we can juxtapose this conversation of you being a new you. Instead of starting January 1 and saying, I'm going to be my new me. I'm going to take on everything. I used to eat bread and pizza and cookies and chips, but I'm not going to eat any of it ever again. It's all kale and quinoa for me. See, those would be dramatic, innovative shifts like Dr. Maurer described. But another thought and another school of thought is actually what's called the aggregation of marginal gains. Now, if that sounds like some kind of weird hedge fund language, it sounded like that to me at first. But there's an amazing article by James Clear. If you, go to, if you Google James Clear marginal gains, you can read the article. The idea is that there was a guy named Dave Brailsford who had, was a British cyclist who had never, ever won 
the Tour de France. Now, what's interesting about what he did was he approached the team with this idea of the aggregation of marginal gains. He asked the question, could I get a 1% increase in every area of my athlete's life? Meaning, he's asking the question, if you looked at yourself right now and said, I just want a 1% increase in all the areas of my life, would that have an effect on my life? I'll fast forward and give you some of the scenarios. He said, could we eat 1% better? Could we sleep 1% better? Could my athletes train 1% better? Could their shoes give them a 1% increase in comfort? Could And he asked all these questions about everything from temperature to food to sleep to entertainment to relationships to interior world. And three years later, the m- aggregation, the gathering up, the collaboration of all those marginal gains of 1%, they won the Tour de France. So for you and me, could we approach not only this Kaizen strategy of saying, I want this to change and here's how I can get it, but maybe you're listening and you're going, I just generally want my life to feel better. Perhaps you could approach 2017 by saying, could I get a 1% increase of all these marginal gains that otherwise would be totally ignored, but if I gathered them all together, I could move into who I imagine and who I was created to be. Could you gather up all these marginal gains and go, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm going to save 1% more money and put it into my retirement fund. I'm going to spend 1% less money on stupid stuff that I'm not going to remember. I'm going to be 1% more generous financially to other people. I'm going to get 1% more sleep or exercise 1% more. I'm going to spend 1% more time with my kids. I'm going to have a 1% better focus at work. I'm going to try to get all of my categories at work and all the measured objectives just 1% better. If you aggregated all those things together, it's possible that the new you in 2017 would have an incredible impact. It means that you and I could actually elevate all the things we're already doing. And instead of trying to innovate or change or become something different, what if you took the life you're already living and just said, I'm going to get 1% in every category and then watch how I become the new me. as we conclude this conversation about the new you, the things that come to my mind are about my grandfathers. See, I was lucky to grow up with two incredible and amazing grandfathers. But on November 8th of this year, I buried my second grandfather. So now I've officiated the funerals of both my grandfathers. And you know what's incredible about their funerals is reflecting and thinking back on them, I realized that in their eulogies, no one mentioned their careers. They did talk about how hard they worked, but no one mentioned their salary. They mentioned how generous they were. No one mentioned the cars that they drove, but they did mention where they took all their loved ones. No one mentioned how big their homes were, but they did mention how full their homes were and how there was always room for one more family member. No one mentioned their public reputations or how many social media followers they had, but they did mention how their family felt about them. Not a single person brought up all the things that keep me busy from day to day. But everyone talked about those moments in between. They talked about the phone calls that they had. They talked about the routine drop-offs at school with their kids. They talked about the breakfast table 50 years after the fact. 50 years later, they talked about the breakfast table. They talked about the holidays. They talked about how it felt to be around them. In the most surprising way, people talked about their values that my grandfather Chuck worked hard, that my friend grandfather John, he took care of his family, that Chuck kept his word, that John never let people down. You know what people are going to say about us and in our life? It's not going to be about the work 
plans that we had. They're not going to talk about, most likely, about the objectives we have when it comes to our finances or above our careers in 2017. Do you know what they're going to talk about? Is they're going to talk about who we are, who your kids are. When they remember 50 years later the breakfast table or the moments when you drop them off at school. So this opportunity, this 2017, is about becoming a new you. Not having the best strategic plan for your organization, not having the best strategic plan for your career, but about taking a really big deep breath and saying, who am I becoming? Who am I when I'm stressed? Who am I when I have negative emotions or when I face struggle? Because that, my friend, is what your children are going to talk about at your funeral, what your family and what your friends are going to talk about, what people are going to love about you is not your career or your car or the cool house or the things you worked really hard for, but about who you are. So may 2017 be an ushering in of a new you. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope 2016 was amazing to you, and may you enter 2017 with a happy new you.